The other day, I found myself thinking about my sixth grade Sunday school class, my sixth grade Sunday school class, because that autumn, when I was in sixth grade, our church, my childhood church, was doing a big project, and every class was asked to, to pitch in and help with the project. Our sixth grade boys class was talking about what we could do, and John Port, our teacher of my little Sunday school class, he looked at me and he said, he said, Wayne, I'd like you to lead the team that will come up with our plan. I'd like you to lead the team that will come up with their plan. I remember asking in my squeaky, changing voice in sixth grade, me? Why me? And then Mr. Port looked at me and he said something very profound. He said, Wayne, Jesus said, to him whom much is given, much is required. Now, I, 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 I thought about that, and here's what I didn't understand. Why would he say much is given to, to me? I, I kind of did a quick inventory of my life, and I couldn't see much. So I said something like, but Mr. Port, what do I have? And then he smiled at me, and I knew like a good teacher he had roped me in. He smiled at me, and he looked at all our class, and he gave us an assignment. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Everybody stop right now. I want you to sit down. That was a major achievement, by the way, to get us all to sit down. I want you to sit down, and he said, I want you to write out all the great blessings in your life. And we did. We sat down, and we began to write out the great blessings in our life. And then, and then Mr. Port asked us to share those blessings, and, and he took those, and he knew us. This was a guy who knew us, and he told us, oh, you forgot this, and you forgot that, and he had us add other things to our list as we talked through it. And then, and then he took all of those lists, and he had us turn them in, and he said, guys, every one of these can and should be used for God. It was, quite frankly, a life-changing moment for me. I began to see, for the first time in my life, I began to see how my wonderful family, my intelligence, my ability to save money, all the other things in my little 12-year-old life, those were gifts from God that he could use to change the world. So kids, I'd like you to do the same thing here today. Think of this as our big Sunday school class. I'm Mr. Port. I want you to borrow a pen from somebody near you. Uh, ladies, would you, you've got seven in your purse right now. Guys, if you've got a pen, get them out. Share them with the people around you. Here, would you grab these ones and pass them out? If somebody needs one, I had a few up here for the kids up here. If you need one, there you go. Uh, take a pen, and you'll look in your bulletin. Uh, if you didn't get one when you came in, borrow one from an adult right now, and there's a space in that bulletin that says, what I have been given. You see that? What I have been given. Adults, you can do this too, unless you're helping a kiddo. Everybody, let's take a moment, and I'd like you to right now list some of the rich blessings with which you have been endowed. List some of the rich blessings with which you have been endowed. Write, write them down. This doesn't need to be an exhaustive list, okay? This is, please don't try to make it exhaustive. You, this is a great activity you can do with the Lord, should do with the Lord on your own. But surely you've got time to think of one or two, a couple of things that you can, that you can put down. Some of the great blessings in your life. And you can do this without your mouth. Just the pen. Well, that's right. Yeah, it works. Got you back, Mom. I got you covered. All right. Some of the great blessings in your life. Write them down. You thinking? To him who much is given, much is required. What's been given to you? You got a couple? All right. Okay, let's, let's, let's stop there for just a minute. Uh, raise your hand, and, and if I point to you, tell me one thing on your list, okay? I know you could do this all day, and, and sometime you should, but for now, just stop there, and somebody raise your hand over here, and if I point to you, tell me one thing on your list. Raise your hand. What's something you wrote down? Who's willing to volunteer? Yeah, what's one thing you put down, Leslie? 
my family. Uh, any, anybody, anybody in the gym put down my family? Raise your hand. If you're in the gym and you put down my family. Okay, how about in the auditorium? Anybody else put down my family? Okay, great. That's great. Uh, somebody from this section, what's something you put? Yes. My ability to work. What a blessing. Especially when you don't have it at some point, you learn what a gift that is. That's brilliant. Somebody over here, what's something you put down? One of your blessings. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right there. Home. Having a home. It is a rich blessing for which we are very, very grateful, are we not? And many, many, many more. I'll get you next time. Okay. The scripture that Mr. Port quoted, the point is it applies to you too, doesn't it? Just as it applied to me, it applies to you. It's found in Luke chapter 12. If you want to turn there, open your Bible to Luke, fourth book of your New Testament, chapter 12, verse 48. We're going to read the second part of verse 48. Remember, the verse numbers weren't ordained by God. They were just put in by people. So the second part of verse 48 says this, much will be required of everyone who has been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. Here's the, here's the context. Jesus has just finished a parable, all right, and this is his conclusion. This is his bottom line. It applies to each and every person. It also applies to churches. So let's think about our church the way we just looked at ourselves. It starts with how much has been given. One thing I have learned recently is how little people remember about the history of God's blessings on Frisco Bible Church. So let's take, let's take just a moment and let's reflect on just a few amazing stories. I'm just going to give you a couple. When this church began, we met in what was then called the Abbey Restaurant. It was on Main Street in Frisco. We wanted to use a school, but in those days, Frisco Independent School District was closed. No churches could meet in FISD schools. Our little church plant was already at two services in the tiny little Abbey Banquet Room. We, we could not find any place that we could meet that would allow us to continue growing. We had been turned down by every, and I mean every single space in this town, including one where we were told, and I quote, no, we will never allow Christians to meet on this property, close quote. Finally, I was, I was at my wit's end. I was on my knees beside my desk one day begging God to please, please provide something that would allow Frisco Bible to meet and, and to grow, to fulfill its ministry. And then the phone rang. Now, since I was the only employee then, I got up <laughs> and I answered the phone. And at the other end of the phone was Pat Fowler. Pat Fowler was the assistant superintendent of Frisco Independent School District. He said to me, and again, I quote, Wayne, some of us were up here talking about the new church. Do you guys need a bigger space to meet in? We can give you your pick of schools. I, I couldn't answer for a few minutes because I was crying with joy. He finally said, Wayne, you still there? Yeah, I'm here, and I'm going to be there. Much has been given. God has given you, church, favor with people in authority, and you've been given a platform from which to bless others. For example, think back to 9-11. Surely even, even you young kids have realized that September 11, 2001, was a watershed moment in human history. On that morning, September 11, I did something I never do. I never do. I turned on the TV in the morning. I, I, I just felt God guide me that I needed to check the news on my way to work. So I turned on the TV in time to watch the plane fly across Peter Jennings' shoulder and into the World Trade Center Tower. And thus, I was prepared when my phone rang a few minutes later. It was the mayor of the city asking if I had seen what just happened. And I, and I told her I had. 
And on the spot, we made the decision that we were going to ask the entire city together together at the new building at Frisco Bible Church to pray. And that night, she got word out to the city, and thousands of people from from Frisco and Prosper and Little Elm packed that, that south building. Back then, that was the only building. They packed in there to pray together. It was awesome. People came to faith in Christ. People were encouraged. They sought their God. Much is given indeed. And by the way, that giving has very often been through Frisco Bible people who have shared amazing sacrifices to fulfill this ministry that God has placed on our redeemed community. To to enable our tiny church plant to buy land and and build a building, people have given sacrificially. By the way, I, I skipped one. Here's one. Thank you. I skipped this one. Look at this. You want to know what God has given? Do you realize this? You know, most people don't know this. In your little 20-plus years of life, over 12,000 people around the world have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior directly through the work of this church, not including our missionaries, just through your work. 12,000 people. Can I get an amen for that? That has happened. That has happened. To enable that to happen, people have sacrificed. They have sacrificed cars. We have seen people sell their timeshares and give the money to what God is doing through Frisco Bible Church. They have willingly sacrificed income and stocks and boat and and bonuses and vacations. It has been an amazing thing for me to watch. I think the spirit of giving here, much is given, was best captured for me eight years ago. Eight years ago, a seven-year-old boy came up to me, and he said that he wanted to give everything he had saved in his life to the building of this auditorium, to the building of this building. And I watched as he gave our CFO an envelope and it had a dollar and 38 cents in it, mostly in pennies. These are merely a sample, of course. We could someday, we should someday spend hours and hours recounting all of God's incredible blessings on this church. Much is given indeed. But for today, let's just look at what we've been given lately, okay? As we enter this series in our annual vision of reformation, reformation, we should recollect the takeaways that God's impressed on us just recently, just recently. Remember what we learned out of our Exodus study? Those of you who weren't here, we studied Exodus earlier in in the season, and here's what we learned from Exodus. Though we don't know all the details, we must trust God and go hard after his leadership. All God's people said? And in our annual theme series, Reformed, we, we learned this. The Lord will take his church beyond our understanding, past our current cultural battles, though the results may be far different from what we perceive starting out, all will be well if we're aligned with the foundational biblical truths. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, in Jesus Christ alone. And God's glory alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Think about, think about the big lesson we just learned. Much has been given. We just learned from our study of Galatians that we just finished this last fall. We learned in Galatians that everything is achieved by what? By what, everybody? God's grace. We labor, but we don't labor to earn God's love. We labor because we have his love permanently in Jesus Christ. Much is given indeed. We are incredibly blessed. We have been endowed and prepared for every good thing that God has for us to do. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Which takes us to the second part of our text and the headline on the right side of our notes, much is required. The introduction to that parable in Luke 12 has the first great requirement. Go up to verses 42 and 43. The parable's fascinating. We'll study it another time. It's the, it's the brackets of the parable that are most interesting for today that we need. The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? The slave who the master finds working when he comes will be rewarded. God expects his people to work hard in his service. 
Jesus' image here is one from the Roman way of life, which is really interesting because most of the Lord's metaphors were drawn from Jewish village life. Of course, Jesus and his disciples were very familiar with Roman practices. They lived under Roman law. They lived in a Roman client kingdom right here in Judea called Palestina at that point. Jesus in this image is referring to something called the Roman pater familias. It means, roughly translated, means head of the business or head of the household. That's your fancy Latin word for today, boys and girls. On the count of three, you get to say pater familias, pater familias. One, two, three. Pater familias. Very good. It, the, the head of a large villa or farm, the pater familias, would meet every day or just about every day with his clients. Um, and the clients... Uh, came to him, he set the agendas for their various activities. And really, the way to think about this is a fairly large, we would call a medium-sized business, and he's meeting with all of the institutional directors of the business. That's really what's going on in a paterfamilias. The paterfamilias' role was to ensure that every one of the clients had everything they needed to do their job, all right? The paterfamilias would then, here's the background, would make occasional appearances at each of the work sites. And when he observed one of his clients working really well, responding to the needs of the moment, bringing in a good return for the company, that paterfamilias would mark that person down as someone to build up in leadership, all right? So with that in mind, look at the introduction of the parable. Jesus says, that's a little what God is like. He's the great father of the family who will reward and develop everybody who works hard in his businesses. And there's a very important lesson about business that one must never forget. And this is true in every business, including church work for our Heavenly Father. The truth is that those who don't continually reform inevitably become ineffective. Those who don't continually reform inevitably become ineffective. Core practices can and often must remain unchanging. That's true. But... Methods must always respond to shifting markets. While the DNA of an organization must maintain its integrity, those organizations that don't continue to transform will lose their edge and they will eventually die. We see this in business all the time, all the time. And the same thing is true for individual Christians. The same thing is true for Christian churches. One of the most graphic statements of this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, look at verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is so cool. This is so cool. God says to the Apostle Paul, Christians are free, and they're especially free to change. In fact, we will change. We are being transformed right now, even now, by the Spirit of God. Do you, do you see the verb, are being transformed? It, it's the Greek word, metamorphomythia. Uh, what, what word does that sound like? Metamor, what does that sound like? Word that came into English. Yeah, metamorphosis, right? We're being metamorphosized by the Spirit of God. Metamorphomythia means the process of being reformed into something better. You want to know what's fascinating? This is the most fascinating context of, of 2 Corinthians. Get this. The Jewish people of that day, the Jewish people of that day taught that this word, metamorphosis, it only applied to God's people after they went to heaven. They taught that it, it could not, they said repeatedly in many, many, many Jewish writings, they said in that era, real reform is not possible on earth. It cannot happen. But Paul shows definitively that God is always changing his people. He is always growing them up, even here on earth, so that they can best enjoy him and freely serve him. It is a fascinating truth. Our freedom is intended to be used as part of a lifetime of continual reformation. It's true for you. It is true for your business. It is true for your church. So with that in mind, 
Let's just consider church history. What happens to churches comprised of Christians who, who refuse the continual reformation that is necessary to effectively serve God in an ever-changing world? You know what happens to them? They inevitably become ineffective. Just look, guys, just look around. You don't have to look far. All around us, there are dozens of churches that are in decline. Many of these churches, wonderful churches, they were established during the great church planting waves from 1950 to 1999. Did you know there were a number of very strong waves in America of church planting from 1950 to 1999, but these churches never adjusted to the 21st century, and they're dying. Or go, I tell you what, just go, go back further, examine places like, like Yale University. Yale University, that institution was planted to produce godly church leaders holding forth looks at veritas, light and truth. Sadly, that place today is very far from that original mission. Let's, let's, dig, let's dig even deeper into this decay. Upon investigation, and I've spent a lot of time looking at this, it becomes clear that every unproductive organization, just like every unproductive Christian individual, suffers from one of two problems. It's always one of these two problems. The organization quit being in tune with God's Word, or they stopped reaching out to touch God's world. They quit being in tune with God's Word, like Yale University, or they stopped reaching out to touch God's world, like dying churches. Dr. Schofield's wonderful summary from almost 150 years ago is still true today. They stopped taking the Bible as it is to men as they are. Close quote. The Bible as it is to men as they are. So that takes us to the next thing God requires of his churches. We make sure that we are in tune with God's word. I was talking with some friends about this recently, and they asked if I was concerned about Frisco Bible. They said specifically, are you concerned about Frisco Bible getting out of tune with Scripture? And I replied, not immediately, but, here's what I said, not immediately, I'm not, but we can't stop learning. We can't stop working hard on this. Frisco Bible, as you know, is incredibly blessed with committed, solid, brilliant Bible teachers. Every class, every study, we see these fantastic teachers, insightful dedication to Scripture alone as our foundation. And by the way, well done, friends. I, I just want to take a minute. I don't do this often enough. On behalf of all the elders, we want to tell you how very proud we are of you. But if we slack off, if we stop reforming, we will end up as another casualty organization that began to love human praise more than Scripture. It will happen. For example, got a letter recently from someone, lady in the church, who was very upset that her favorite Christian author had begun to change Scripture just to fit the current culture. And she wrote me about it. She said, Pastor Wayne, I'm, I'm really bothered. My favorite Christian author has begun to change Scripture to fit Christian culture. And I knew of whom she was speaking, and sadly, I think the analysis was accurate. I wrote back this. Sigh, where to begin? This teacher is just the latest Christian to exemplify a theology that takes its marching orders from society and not Scripture. And, I added, that is exactly what can happen to us. We are just as prone as our dear sister to compromise truth. And when we do so, our long-term impact is eliminated. Close quote. Folks, even secular thinkers see the difference being made by being in tune with God's Word. William McGurn is a business writer. Okay, he's not a church leader at all, but look at what he wrote. Just a few months ago in the Wall Street Journal, McGurn wrote this, the great commission of, and he described a particular denomination of whom he was speaking, the great commission of that denomination is not about bringing the gospel to a modern world. Oh no, 
It's about bringing the modern world and its orthodoxies, especially the sexual revolution, into the church, close quote. One of my old mentors sent me a story that illustrates what it's like when churches stop being in tune with God's Word. He wrote me this. Let me read you the story. He said, Wayne, a young girl wandered away from her parents during their family's visit to New York City. The next 15 minutes were filled with anxiety and major concern. The little girl wisely approached another family with children about her age, and she asked for help. Soon she was reunited with her own family. After a huge sigh of relief, hugs, and tears, the child asked her parents, Why did you leave me? Her parents, he goes on, her parents had not abandoned their daughter. Quite the contrary. The little girl had wandered away from her parents. Her parents wanted her with them, but she had followed her own interests and thus found herself alone in a big, frightening world. Close quote. Churches do this. I, I've seen it in my own experience, okay? There, there are three churches, there are three churches where I was an adult member before I became part of this church, all right? When I joined each of these churches, it was dedicated to the Bible as it is for people as they are. Each of those churches took its marching orders, its, its tune from Scripture only, and each of these churches was dedicated to being in touch with a world in need. But today, i got to tell you, today, only one of those precious churches is, in my analysis, solidly in tune with God's Word and in touch with God's world. One of them is on a trajectory moving away from Scripture as their foundation, the, the the third one is so out of touch with God's world, so out of touch with God's world, the pastor recently sent me a note. I, I wrote it down. He wrote me and he said, oh, Wayne, we're in touch with God's world as long as no one in the world has changed since 1985. <laughs> now, that is not to pick on our amazing brethren whom we love and from whom we can learn much. I, I, I just share that to emphasize this is hard work. It's hard work that we must continue to do by God's Spirit. That takes us to our third big task, which is to make sure that we are in touch with God's world. Frankly, this is my main concern for Frisco Bible Church. This is my main concern for you. The world today is so weird, it is so wild, it is so often idiotic, that it is very easy to become cynical, complacent, or reactionary. Many churches, including this one, are in danger of no longer caring enough to impact a dying world. It's a little like what we called alligator arms um, when I was a receiver in football. You see, football receivers have to stick their arms out to catch a ball. You've got to put your arms out to catch a ball. You can't catch it with your chest. It'll bounce off. You've got to catch it with your arms. But when you do that, when you expose yourself like that, your arms are out. Defensive backs, those horrible class of human beings known as defensive backs. <laughs> I was a receiver. Some of you were defensive backs. <laughs> defensive backs live for that moment when you're exposed and they cause you pain which is their job, right? So because of that, because it's no fun to keep getting hurt when you're reaching out, football receivers develop alligator arms, which they don't, they don't really commit themselves to reaching out for the ball because they're tired of being hurt. When I coached football, I learned that the job of a receiver's coach, here's the main job of a receiver's coach. His job is to remind that player of his mission, and his mission is to reach out and make catches, to do so, you know what that coach has to do? He has to make the player more desirous of pleasing his coach and his team and less worried about getting hurt. Same story for us. We have to reach out to God's world, caring more about our mission than our self-protection. And if we are willing to reach out, we need to understand that this world, our world right here in North Texas, it's changing. It's changing rapidly. Over the next 15 years, 
a minimum, the minimum projection is 100,000 people will move into your cities and your towns. We actually should add closer to 200,000 new souls, every one of whom God loves. All of North Texas is projected in the next 15 years to add 3 million people. They're coming to work for our existing businesses. They're coming for newly relocated businesses like Toyota and Liberty Mutual and Fannie Mae and State Farm and J.P. Morgan Chase and others. And these people are coming from very far away. They're coming from very different cultures than this one. The vast majority of these people will be unchurched. They'll be like the little boy who moved in next door to me a year or so ago. And I went over, met the family. He and I were having a blast playing football in the yard. And he looked at me and said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, what is that? He had no idea. He'd never even heard the word before of what a pastor does. And we're also going to see a much higher population of immigrants from places like India and Asia and Africa. And all that explains why I am convinced that we must go through the Imagine campaign that I am launching before you today. We're going to shake off our fears. We are going to forego our short reach, and we are going to stretch out to a very changing world in need. We are going to see our church touch their lives for his purpose. My prayer is that you and I will have the attitude of a friend of mine in this church who wrote me recently, and he said this. He wrote me and said, Wayne, God is bringing all these people right to our doorstep. Wow! We're about to get a lot of people. This is a huge opportunity. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. But that opportunity will be fumbled if you and I don't do the hard work to be in touch with God's world. And we've got to look at what the blockades are that will keep us from doing that. Thomas Rayner is a, a, a very brilliant writer. He's a staunch Baptist. Like me, he remains very bullish on the local church. He's a believer in the local church. He wrote about reaching out to touch God's world. Reformation Day, October 31, 2016, he said this, and I quote, Rayner said, What a big difference a region makes, or used to make, I served as pastor of four churches, and three of them were in the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt refers to that region of the southeastern and south-central United States where the church attendance has been higher historically and where biblical values are more closely aligned with cultural values. Actually, probably the other way around would be a better way to say it. He goes on. There are thousands of churches in the Bible Belt. Sadly, too many of them are not adjusting to the changing realities of the area. They still act like it's 1975. Here's why. He gives eight reasons. Number one, they don't recognize the decline in cultural Christianity. Number two, they have many church rules related to attire worn on Sunday or times of worship or inconsequential polity issues. Number three, they have leaders who have never led in a highly unchurched mission field. By the way, when I lived in Germany, I had no idea how important that would be for me someday being a leader in North Texas. I had to learn in Germany how to live in a culture that was decidedly anti-Christian, and now it's caught up with me here too, and I'm thankful for that experience. Number four, they confuse traditions. They confuse that with truth. Number five, they do outreach the way they've always done it. Number six, a number of the leaders and members of the church are frustrated. They, they, they're not reaching out because they're just so frustrated by why and how things have changed so much. Number seven, they're slow to respond. And number eight, they have significant facility challenges. They often have old and outdated education and recreation facilities as well as access problems, close quote. Friends, that analysis is spot on. Now, thankfully, our church deals with very few of those problems, but we are not immune to them. 
That's why we're going to continue to work hard and remain and get, become even more in touch with God's world. Pastor A.J.'s old boss put it brilliantly. Years and years ago, Larry Moyer uh, wrote this. He said, we must take the never-changing message to an ever-changing people. Isn't that brilliant? I'd like you to say it with me. Just that sentence. Let's say it all together. Larry Moyer's quote, we must take the never-changing message to an ever-changing people. Ready? One, two, three. We must take the never-changing message to an ever-changing people. Thank you. Well done. So with all that in mind, please imagine this. I'd like you to, I'd like you to envision a church where for generations to come, it is hard for people to become stale. I'd like you to imagine a church where iron continually sharpens iron so that the church body is always joyfully working hard to remain in tune with God's Word and in touch with God's world. That's what God wants us to be. That's why His Spirit set us free. We have been given much, and much is required. That's the kind of church our region needs. I know. I know we are blessed to reach all around the world through the Internet and missions and radio but just for a minute, I'd like you to think about our own backyard. Think, think about those 200,000-plus people that are coming to your neighborhood. Every one of them needs to be welcomed, right? They need to hear the good news of life in Jesus alone. Do you know what they need? They need to be introduced to Scripture study that is more than just scratch the surface and play around with the Bible. They, they need a great church home. Not all of them are going to fit here. I know that. That's fine. By the way, that's one of the reasons that we work so hard to help our sister churches maintain their health. But many thousands of these newcomers, many thousands of them will do best in your church, and we need to make room for them. We need to be more accessible and more visible. We, we need land that we can grow onto. We need facilities that can take care of their kids and their grandkids and facilitate their growth in Christ. To that end, our elders have been working really hard for the past three years. We have been praying, and we have been talking, and we have been planning about our future. By the way, that's why the Bible calls uh, elders, one of the words for elders in the Bible is overseers. It's their job to step back and see over and look ahead for things like this. And we have two great goals that we want to place before you today. Two great goals. One, we need to secure this church's long-term land needs. As you are aware, land around here has been disappearing fairly quickly. And some of, you know, some of you know that we have been outbid on property three times in the last two years. That's right. Three times we have located property very near here where we, where we felt we could effectively minister for a long time. And each time, you know what we did? We went in with our banker and we secured provisional arrangement agreement with the landowner. Only every single time to be outbid by a home builder. Home builders are great. We love home builders. But they took the property before we could even bring it to you. You know why they were able to do that? Because they had cash, and we only had financing. To move past that scenario, we elders are sacrificing. We've already decided we are going to sacrifice, and we are asking every single person who comprises this church to sacrifice as well. We think the best hard work that we can do to be in touch with God's world is to raise cash, the cash we need to secure our long-term property. The second goal is related. We think it is best to eliminate our remaining debt. We're blessed with debt that fits the biblical parameters. In fact, we're quite a bit within the biblical parameters, and that's wonderful. We know that debt is not de facto evil biblically. We understand that. Nonetheless, by eliminating our debt, Frisco Bible will better reflect what you and I read in 1 Corinthians. 
We will be free so we can transform in the Spirit. And this is going to take great sacrifice as well. To secure our land and to retire our debt together is going to require about $6 million. $6 million. That means that every one of us is going to need to double our giving for the next three years. That's what it will take. What we give a year is going to have to be doubled for a three-year period to get $6 million. Doubling our gifts, that sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Come on, shake your head. Of course that sounds hard. Maybe this will help put it in perspective. It's happened before, twice in our history, in fact. The members of Frisco Bible Church have stepped up and given double for three years. We are in the great position we're in today precisely because earlier members of this church gave double for a three-year period. And now it's our turn. Much has been given to us. Much is required. Not to be depressing, not to be depressing, but I'd like you to just for a second consider what life around here will be like in 10 years if we don't do this, all right? What if we don't retire our debt and expand our reach? I'd like you to just imagine the negative impact. Of, close your eyes. Just for a moment, close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes and just imagine this. Try to visualize this. Imagine an area where only the Mormons and the anti-biblical churches are reaching out and making room for people. Imagine all those tens of thousands of unchurched people, imagine them setting the uniform social and educational tone in your town. Everything is set by their lack of values. Keep your eyes closed and imagine this. Imagine Frisco Bible Church ingrown and dying. Now, open your eyes. By God's grace, we will not let that happen. And we will not be dismayed by the size of the project. As ambitious as these goals are, quite frankly, quite frankly, they're going to be very easy if we will just set our hearts on reform. If our hearts are really in tune with God's word and really in touch with God's world, the money is going to follow. Right? It always does. Remember Jesus' summary statement, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21. Read it with me, everybody. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's do the hard work God's prepared for us, right? Let's equip Frisco Bible Church, both the organization and all the individuals who comprise it for the next stage of ministry. Spiritually, let's make sure that our hearts are ready to take a never-changing message to an ever-changing world. So to aid with that, our staff have written this wonderful, and I mean wonderful, devotional guide. As you leave today, these are going to be handed out, one per family, uh, whether your family's one person or 12. I don't think we have any families bigger than 12. If we do, you get two, all right, if we, if we have bigger than 12. Um, and for the next nine weeks, here's what we'd like you to do. We are recommending that you, your family, go through one of these short devotionals every week. Just once a week, sit down, and take, it, it won't take you long. They're very well done, interesting activities. You know what they're going to do? I'm convinced these are going to help move our hearts toward continual reformation. I think as you and I work through this guide, we're going to see how God uses normal people like us to change his world, how he uses how he uses our church in their lives for his purpose. And financially, you're going to hear in the coming weeks about what we can each do to help our church get ready for the next chapter. Please, listen, don't give yet. Don't give yet. Let, let, let's take time. Let's, let's plan and let's pray this all through together. It, it's, like, it's like building an airplane. The more time we spend planning, the better our eventual product flies. All right? Thomas, come on up here. I, I, I'm going to take a few minutes every Sunday 
over the next few weeks, and I'm going to update you on all the good news of this Imagine campaign. And you'll also see this dude up front with me. In case you don't know this guy, this is Thomas Campbell. Thomas has been helping Pastor Andy and our elders work through uh, leading this whole project. He, he has just been fantastic, and we are so grateful for him. I just wanted you to recognize his face so you knew who he was as the leader of Imagine, and also give him a hand for all the things he's done you don't even know. Thank you. Okay. So much has been given to us, and thus much is required, right? Look, we need, to, we need to work hard in and for Jesus. We need to remain in tune with God's Word, and we need to sacrifice to reach out and be in touch with God's world. And there's one more thing. One more thing the Bible commands about this, and that is that we rejoice. The Apostle Paul covers all of the topics we discussed today. In, in, in fact, there's a great summary of everything we've just talked about in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 uh, starting in verse 14, I'd like you to read responsively with me. Kids, that means you read the underlined part, okay? So I'll read the other, you read the underlined. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Isn't that cool? hey, we don't reform churches by tearing them down. We hold on to the progress already made. We rejoice over what we've already been given. And at the same time, we press on. We press on for the upward call of the much that Jesus requires. It's like Paul wrote my entire sermon in three verses. And then, and then having said all that, God has Paul include this command just a little bit later. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. How often, everybody? Always. Always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We rejoice always. It's a big part of how we live out what is required. A few months ago, I wrote this. In my private journal, in my private journal, I wrote this, and I'll just share it with you. I wrote, the world is changing rapidly. I, I must have been reading Tolkien. The world is changing. Anyway, the, um, uh, the world, but it's true. It is. The world is changing rapidly. Families, individual relationships, and churches are all facing massive obstacles, and anyone who says otherwise is pretending. Yet instead of despair, we should rejoice because these challenges represent a grand opportunity. The local churches that respond to change and lead through it will fulfill their ministry for this season and prepare wisely for the chapters yet to come. The way to respond is to live out a bold commitment to being in tune with God's Word while in touch with God's world. Pray with me about that. Join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I, <clears throat> I thank you that you search me and know me and you know the ways in which I am not in tune with your Word. I'm making up a fifth gospel, turning Jesus into who I want him to be, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Wayne, and I'm sorry. And I'm sure the same is true for my brothers and sisters. So we, we, we open ourselves to your spirit, and we beg you to change us in that. Let us really live according to your word and your word alone. And Father, you know, you know the ways in which I get alligator arms, and I don't, I don't want to reach out. I don't like some of these nasty people, their cars are in my way, and it's incredibly selfish, and I'm embarrassed by it, and I'm sorry. 
you love them the way you love me. And I'm sure my brethren are very similar to me in that, although probably a bit more holy. And I beg you to change each of us, that you, Jesus, will empower us by your incredible grace, that we will be gracious, just as Philippians commanded, that we really will enjoy sacrificing to be in tune and in touch and see your church fulfill its ministry. We're excited about that. We are grateful for that. We're grateful to get to talk about it all together today. And we ask your blessing on this. In Jesus' name, amen.